Thank you for tuning in to the third edition of Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos. My name is Kenya McClooney. I'm a social work intern, grad intern, that is, uh, from the illustrious, the dynamic, the adaptable Appalachia State University located in Boone, North Carolina. Today's episode is going to focus more on black mental health and the stigma that follows it. Um, we're going to talk a, a more about uh, things that a lot of black folk think. Mm, then we're going to get into some uh, why they think like that from a more clinical perspective. But first, I'd like to talk about um, the importance of from a clinical perspective, of course, why uh, these things might even take place or what actually does black mental health look like in the black community. I've done some reviews on all the reviews I'm doing will be from uh, YouTube videos. There is two TED Talks. And let's see. Yes, two TED Talks. And uh, one was just a street perspective of uh, black people. And the last one is a, a video done by a social worker who's an associate professor at NYU. We're going to go into things he thinks and what he feels like is the answer to the conundrums that we face in uh, mental health concerning the black community. Let me give you a little background on my thoughts. When I first got into social work, I thought social work was only done at DSS. You went to school to be a social worker so you can work at DSS. Like you, like a doctor would do operations at the hospital. But the more I looked into it, I looked at all the other unofficial, untrained social workers that were in my life. People who lend a helping hand. People who uh, knew somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody. Their ability to connect me with resources in my community that I didn't know existed. Uh, Their ability to uh, become like a monkey wrench in uh, crisis situations. Their job may not was to solve my problem or help me solve my problem, but they got me to other people who could help me with my situation. And that's fine by me. <clears throat> then I started my grad track, and we really started talking about mental health. And they had always said in undergrad, it's important for you to do self-care. Make sure you're in a good headspace before you try to help somebody. Because the last thing you want to do is have your client help you. Now, when uh, doing my grad process, we, like I said, we talked about more of a mental illness and clinically how these things operate. And I realized how important, even more important it is to have a clear space because you're trying to get a good discernment decision based off of your analysis, your assessment, and how you plan uh, for their treatment. 
because you don't want to waste anybody's time with a treatment that's not working and then having to start over because you're not only wasting your time, you're wasting their money. And you're also losing the trust that you might have already gained just to get them get started. And the best way I know to promote somebody is by word of mouth. So if they give you a bad report to other people in that area, the chances of you re-upping on people in that area are slim and none. It's going to really hurt uh, your clientele. Let alone the clientele you already done built. Cause that, well, I've never experienced that with him. If he'll do it to you, he might just do it to me. First video is from the APA. Uh, it's sponsored by the APA and the uh, African Methodist Episcopal. Uh, it's mental health I got for African Americans. They talk uh, starting out with Dr. David Satcher, MD, PhD. He's a former uh, Surgeon General of the United States. He talks about how uh, African Americans think of mental health. They think of the costs. And is my insurance going to be able to cover this? And the discomfort of maybe other people knowing or finding out that, hey, I'll go to therapy. Uh, We then fall into Tracy Burroughs, MD. From the Department of Psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University in the School of Medicine. She talks about how important faith and spirituality and determination plays a part in black culture when it comes to dealing with issues. And they hold fast to that as this is my therapy. God is my therapist. Jesus is called the good counselor in uh the book of the Bible. So, if he's a good counselor, why do I need to talk to you? But, then again, there's a lot of things like chemical imbalances that come in contact with uh, mental illness uh, that no one really addressed. Michael A. Toms, MD, a medical director at uh, Universal Counseling Services located in Baltimore, Maryland, says... We don't uh, neglect the statues that take place in church, but we encourage you to look at mental health as you will look at your physical health. Now, that's a very good analogy because when you're having trouble with your heart or your breathing, uh, you go to the hospital. When you're dealing with things that bother your, uh, your consciousness, I think it might be good to go to people who have a little bit more experience at understanding your consciousness or uh, brain patterns. But the problem with that is I know a lot of African-American men, black men, me such as myself, we don't do hospitals. We don't do doctors. It has to be grave uh, pain that we have to deal with. Before we'll go to a doctor. Or something that you know. We've already experienced. In the past. And we're afraid it to bubble up. Like 
if someone already has asthma problems, they've already been to the doctor. So, uh, them having a bad asthma attack is going to be a red alert to say, hey, get me to a doctor. I need to see one. Um, personally, I feel like a lot of uh, people suffer from PTSD. When you hear PTSD, you hear, you know, people have been in the war or served our country or even policemen, firemen, people who deal with life or death situations. But uh, it when I looked up and looked through this video, it says PTSD stems from the physical harm or the threat of harm. Uh, and it brings up anger, fear, and distress. Have any of y'all been pulled over by the police before? I have. It's a different feeling, I bet. Because every time I'm pulled over by a policeman, even when I was younger, uh, I'm afraid I'm getting ready to go to jail, whether I did anything wrong or not. Most time, if I'm getting pulled over, it's probably by speeding. I mean, let's, you know, call a spade a spade. At one point in time, I had 11 points on my license. And it just so happens that I was able to keep my license. Surprisingly. But uh, I can't tell you the countless times that the police have pulled their guns out on me on a traffic stop or during a roadblock. Um, I, at the end of this podcast, I'll sh- share with you a very uh, real uh, situation that happened to me in Greensboro. And... Um, Uh, it's gonna be tough, but I'm gonna get I'm gonna get through it. Now I would like to go into a big think. Next pod, oh not next pod, next uh YouTube video I looked at. It's called Black Mental Health Isn't the Same as White Mental Health. Dr. Michael A. Lindsley, associate professor at Silver School of uh, Social Work, located in NYU. He talks about how he feels that uh, black mental health or the instability of uh, black mental health took place and started with slavery. The vestiges of slavery, how it relates to trauma. Blacks continue to experience trauma, especially in urban communities. Because of the interaction with the police can be traumatic. Therefore, mental illness equals trauma in the black community. That's where he feels like mental illness stems from. That lots of us uh, suffer in silence because it's like, like what we talked about in my internship class yesterday. Okay. You you see, you know what you're up against. Uh, complaining about it's going to give you what? Talking to someone is going to do what? Is it possible to get a solution out? If not, is it worth your emotional estate to put up with it, to gamble with it? Because if you're going to be drained afterward, maybe it's not worth it. And we've seen when we have protested, when we have talked to city officials, what takes place and it just solidifies why most of us have just stayed silent. Uh, the idea of uh, 
the theory of America about, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and uh, be strong and courageous and weather the storm. That's kind of the theory of, you know, America. But in the black community, it's kind of anti their anti rhetorical I know I messed that word up. Uh, based upon the idea that uh, in the black community, that is still, you know, preached loud and proud, but you, we also have in the battle that, along with discrimination, racism, and carrying that burden of, I'm hurting, I need help, but I really don't have anyone to go to. Because most times when you hear about uh, mental health, well, not mental health, mental illness in the black community, they're looked upon as crazy. Oh, they ain't nothing but crazy. They done did some bad drugs, and that's the end of it. Oh, that's just my crazy uncle. Just, you know, be careful around him. Or they say he was touched as a child. Now, they could mean physically or touched in the head. But it ends there. We just do what we can to... Uh, maneuver around that. Now, black culture tells us when we have problems in the house, it stays in the house. It don't leave the neighborhood. Because it don't leave the house. It better not get in the neighborhood. You tell our business from our house is going to get you a whooping. You're going to get punished for that. So things that take place in the house stay in the house. Things that take place in the family stays in the family. So, if it goes anywhere, at any time, it's probably going to go to the church if it goes anywhere. The church plays a very important part in uh, black culture. Maybe not as much as it used to, because now there's exposure to other religions. But still, uh, most people in this area still lean toward the church. It's a place for salvation, healing, uh, takes place, or it's supposed to take place. It's supposed to be a collective support system there to help you out through, you know, hard times. Now, Dr. Lindsley suggests that maybe if you get laymen, clergymen, priests, pastors to be more uh, clean, 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 clinically um, trained that they could uh, offer a, a quick inside look the other services that are available to black people don't necessarily take advantage of could get so the church would be like a triage uh, first responders uh, place but you had to get people trained to deal with that. And getting people trained is uh, outside of that. You have to have uh, people who understand what cultural competent care is. Because if someone goes outside of you know their race or culture, goes to someone else, you can't look at me as a what you read in a book. You shouldn't look at me like you would look at me in a book or what the papers say. Talk directly to me. Uh, 
understand where I'm coming from. Different cultures have different uh, social cues, social rules, I should say. It's important that you know this coming in. It used to be said that, uh, from what uh, Dr. Lindsay says, that someone got sent down south. Down south, up there, was meaning that this person had mental illness or they had substance abuse problems. So they got sent down south, which probably, in my opinion, is why they think that a lot of people down south or below Virginia, I guess, are slow and stupid because they refer to people who have mental illnesses slow or stupid. Just a thought. Now, I'm heading to uh, the TED Talks from Wilmington from a guy named Philip J. Roundtree. He's a master's in social work. And also has a master's in executive science. I mean, excuse me, exercise science, not executive. And he's pursuing his doctorate degree. He talks about uh, he talked about his life growing up, and um, how he dealt with some things. You know, as a eleven, twelve year old, not quite understanding what was going on. Or, but he knew something bad was taking place. If you would like to learn more about his story, you know, be feel free. Uh, like I said, uh, his name is Philip J. Roundtree, and the title of his TED Talks is Why is Black Mental Health? He talks about uh, a historical trauma, dealing once again with slavery, Jim Crow, the, the Tuskegee Experiment, Civil Rights Movement. How all those play a part in how uh, people like me and a little bit older, how they grew up or why they grew up the way they did regarding uh, mental health. During this time, present day, I mean, you're seeing people get killed at home. Killed by the police. And black on black crime. These things affect mental health. In the black community. Then you look at the music that we listen to. And it's almost like culturally accepted. That uh, in hip hop. They tell you that. uh, Get a tattoo. Rest in peace tattoo, like he did when his brother passed, or self medicate with alcohol and uh, marijuana and other drugs. And of course, all these things, if you've already dealt with all this other stuff, all this is is a masking tape to what's really bothering you, what's really uh, starting this up. And you might subdue the middle illnesses that you deal with or you could accelerate them but when you feel like you have no options and this actually kind of saves money this what you'll try he said that it 
it took him 10 years. Well, let me rephrase that. He, well, he said it takes an average of 10 years to seek help from uh, mental wellness issues. It took him 10 years. But then again, he did go to school for his social work and got his master's. So he addressed it in those 10 years. Now, let's look at someone who uh, just graduated high school and was dealing with some of these things. He ends up having some kids. Coronavirus takes place, so he's kind of laid off because he's not considered an essential worker. Uh, Best case scenario, he's married. Lots of times they're not married. So now he can't see his kids because they don't live with him. Having trouble supporting his uh, the mother of the kids because his income's slow and it's low, let alone what she might have going on. A lot of different factors. So the 10 years that he took because he found out and knew better this guy may not know anything about it. So how long do you think it might take him? If he even addresses it. Death is going to be longer than 10 years. Because when you don't know, how can you do better? That's not an option. Now, uh, this uh, YouTube video is called <coughs> Black Folk Don't Do. And the topic... Of this one that I watched was they don't go to therapy. Um, this was shot eight years ago, but I see a lot of things that are still true. It said that it's generational because our parents never went. Why should we went? Why should we go? There's uh, no pattern of why I've seen this had worked or success, so I don't. See, the problem, when I have problems, I do what my mom and them always did. Or I go to my family and we solve it ourselves. Costs. There's the idea that mental health costs too much money. I'm not sure if my insurance will cover that. So I just do what I've always done. Um, it's not culturally acknowledged. You in the black community, you hear that therapy, that's that's some white people shit. Excuse my language, but that's some white people shit. We don't do stuff like that. We go to church. Uh, it's like skiing, bungee jumping, hang gliding, thrill, seek, thrill seeking things in the black community. That's probably looked upon as some white people shit. And if some black people do do it, they're token black people. I really hate that that idea even takes place in our community, but that's the type of society that I'm looking at and I live in. Trust. There's not a lot of trust with the white doctor, which is another reason why I got into uh, social work. When you go to a DSS, you don't see people like me there. You might see women, 
but you don't see black men. The problem I ran into, though, is they don't see black men. So they there's a lot of things that black men do that they're not used to on this side of the glass. So because they're uncomfortable, sometimes it might be best that you move on before something worse pops off. At least in my case. Also, depends on what region you're in when you uh, do your uh, your uh, job. Just pay attention to that. But when I, when I become a therapist, I have the ability to uh, see people like me. Or vice versa, they get to see people like them. And that have some of the same characteristics as them as fashion or style or the way they talk, the way they uh, dress, how they put things. There are a lot of analogies that, or terms that we can use or uh, we have at our disposal that other people may not have, other races may not have. Men's masculinity. Now, I've heard this a lot. That you you weak if you uh, cry. And the only time you're allowed to cry is when it's a funeral. You better not be crying over no girl in no relationship. That girl got you whooped. Things like that build up. Hearing that constantly. You hear the... Uh, the term of sowing your wild oats. That's all about being manly. Not showing weakness. But you now you telling me because times is tough you're going to break down and feel like you want to kill yourself? What's wrong with you? Drink some of this liquor. Smoke some of this. Sniff that. I got a pill for all that. I ain't nothing wrong with that boy. He just need to go get laid. You tough. You from this family. You need to learn to deal with it. We we don't break down. We break people off. Like a family. As in a family support, because these are the main people that's talking to you like this. It's not necessarily some friends. These are people that told you they care about you. They want the best for you, but they talking to you in a tough, stern way because they need you to be tough and stern. This will make you tough. It's a waste of time for you to go to therapy. I don't even see why you go there and talk to these people that don't know you. You tell them all your business. That's for crazy people. The lack of knowledge of what therapy really is. People feel like they go in, lay down on the couch, tell people their problems, and the, the doctor tells them, hey, you need to do this, that, and the third Take this pill, and that's it. But I've tried to educate some of my friends, 
as as I've been on this trek. And it's amazing how many people really think like that. I understand about, you know, laying on the couch, but we supposed to give out drugs and that fits everything? Nope, not my people. Not me. The idea that black people can snap. When you hear about these mass murderers or these cults like David Koresh, uh, the Jeffrey Dahmer with him being a serial killer, the, um, the, the guy... The guy in uh, Haiti, I can't remember his name. Jim Jones. Taking the Kool-Aid. Drinking the Kool-Aid. Then the, uh, the guy in San Francisco that talked to, uh, had this cult going to the magic uh, spaceship that's going to come take them to heaven. And, and everybody had a mass suicide. That's, once again, that's white people shit. Black people don't do stuff like that. Then I introduce you to the D.C. sniper. You could not tell me or get me to believe that was a black man on top of that roof shooting people. Because that don't sound like something black people do. But there you have it. Black people can snap. Now, most time we do snap, it's not necessarily, well, let me rephrase that, to my knowledge and experience. When black people go off, they go off on most of the time the people that bothered them. Every so often, it's people in close proximity. If it's not the actual person that bothered them, it could be the supervisor or the boss or the teacher. They could just have have a day, just been really dealing with a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff uh, is built up, and boom, they snap. A lot of this takes place, you know, coming from the uh, video. Black people, black public media says a lot of this is ancestral abuse. They have had ramifications black people have had to deal with. Collective or personal absence of therapy. Because culturally, we don't do therapy collectively. You don't know a lot of black families who have done uh, therapy, let alone people. So the thought of therapy, like I said earlier, is some white people shit. Or it's for people who crazy. Because that's what people think. Because if I have a problem, I'll go to to Jesus. I'll go to church. God is my therapist. Plus, you don't know a lot of... Here lately, in the past five years, you hear black black celebrities going to therapy. And it's amazing how when you hear that, there's not really a idea of if if uh Idris Elba went to therapy, why don't I go? Or Kevin Hart went to therapy, why don't I go? Cause the number one it goes back to, well, they got the money to go. Yes, they have expensive uh, clothes. I can get bootleg clothes. That I can get that look. You know, when the then he got a Bentley. Well, I can make my car look like a Bentley. 
he went and got therapy. There's no bootleg therapy really that I can think of unless you're talking to your friends and family. Or Jesus is my doctor. And he writes down all my prescriptions in that room, which is a song that's sung in church from time to time. It's an older song. But this is a true, it's a real statement. But like I told uh, some of my friends recently, you tell me you go to church and Jesus is your doctor and this, that, and the third. Uh, have you ever thought that maybe Jesus is subbing you out to a therapist? And you say Jesus is your counselor. Are you taking your counselor's advice? Because if you're not taking your counselor's advice, maybe your counseling sessions aren't really working for you like that. Now, I'm not here to try to discredit Jesus. I'm just telling you that uh, maybe Jesus has uh, other uh, workers working with him in his firm, in his practice. They're wanting and reaching out to you that he's telling you to go talk to, that he's sending to come talk to you, but you just refuse. Just an idea. Now, for the close of this, I told you I was going to tell you a story that happened to me in Greensboro. So here we go. It was All-Star Weekend 2018. So that put it around February 11th. I just sent in, uh, that Thursday, I just sent in my uh, grad applications to UNC Charlotte, UNCG, A and T was some state I even think. Don't quote me on that. Either way it goes, the very next day I got an email saying I didn't qualify. Maybe I did something wrong in the application or not, because I mean damn the ink hadn't even got dry yet. So I'm feeling kinda low already. I was playing my video game that Sunday. No, that Saturday. And, no, that happened that Sunday, excuse me. And uh, I was playing my video game. It's about 3 p.m. I heard a knock on the door. I know it wasn't for me because I wasn't expecting no company. And my roommates were, I thought were there. So I figured they had company coming through. Then I heard Greensboro police open up. It's like, I didn't just hear Greensboro police. Then I heard the door open. It's like, so? I took my headset off, walked out there, had a uh, bar opener in my hand. I walked out there, it's like, what's going on? It was two female officers. Put your hands up. It's like, Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, wait, what's going on? Drop your weapon. I said, I don't have a weapon. Drop your weapon. I said, please, I don't have a weapon. What's on your hand? 
since the bottle opener. Drop your weapon. Drop the bottle opener. I said, okay, please stay calm. I'm dropping it. I'm opening my hand. Now drop it. And I showed them with my fingers spread, both of my hands. Guns still pointing at me. Who are you? My name is Kenji. I, I live here. Well, we heard a disturbance of someone breaking in apartments. No one's breaking in this apartment. I live here. Guns still drawn. It was a black lady about six foot, 200 pounds. And a, a young white lady. She might have been 5'3", 125. And she's shaking, but she's shaking with a gun in her hand. So I'm starting to sweat and I'm starting to uh, tear up because of lights. They get ready to shoot me. They told me, you know, go ahead and sit on the couch. So I sat on the couch, hands still spread to the sides of me, far as my arms could reach. And um, the black lady, she sits in front of me. She put her gun back in her holster. And um, the white lady still has her gun pulled out on me. Still shaking. The uh, black cop asked me what what was my name because she's going to write it. I told her my name is Kenji Contain McClooney. She looks at me like I'm lying. I said, no, my name really is Kenji Contain McClooney. And she said, this is some Black Panther bullshit, ain't it? Because the movie Black Panther had just came out. It's like, no, ma'am, this is really my name. Kenji Kintay McClooney. I spell it out for her. Asked me how old I was. I told her. Asked me how long I've been living there. I told her. While this is going on, the white cop still got her gun pulled out on me. The uh, manager finally comes in. Say, hey, I know you. See, he knows me. He lives here. I told you I lived here. You're the guy who likes wrestling. And I said, you're the guy who listens to Jim Ross podcast. Yeah, he, he lives here. I, I I told you that. said, okay. said, what's going on here? Well, that got a report that someone's breaking in apartments. Yeah, but it wasn't him. Ooh. He fit the description that was given. Yeah, but he lives there. What's going on, man? It's like, I couldn't even talk anymore. Tears are just running down my face. Because up until they get ready to leave, which is like right after the guy says that, you know, he knew me and I identified him as, the person who listens to the Jim Ross podcast, the 5'2", 125-pound lady had her gun pulled on me, and she is shaking. And for my, I don't know much about guns, but I do know it don't take but so much for it to fire off. 
So, uh, and like I, I've said before, I had the police pull their guns on me plenty of times. Traffic stops. And as sad as that sounds, I kind of almost expected something like that to happen. But never did I ever think that I could be in my own home. My sanctuary. The one place I thought I would be safe. And the police just bust in my apartment and almost shoot me. Following that day, since we're going to tell it all, uh, the next day I get a phone call from my job. At the time I was working at Burlington Coat Factory. And they told me that uh, they won't be needing me anymore. And I said, well, you had already cut my days down to like one day. So uh, there's nothing you have me do? Oh, no. You're fine. You're not fired. I mean, you still have your job. We just don't have anything for you to do. So you still keep your discounts, but I was like, I don't have any money to use the discount. Don't worry about it, buddy. You'll make do. And I'm like, what do you mean I'll make do? And he hung up. So uh, I got rejected from three schools, spending $200. Uh, the police busted my apartment, almost shoot me. And the next day, I basically lose my hours. I contacted my professor and let him know that uh, I love your class. I can't do your class today. And I told him why. I just had to take a mental day. It still bothers me to talk about it, but the more I talk about it, the better I feel. Later on, February, I started my first, uh, well, my second counseling sessions so I it's not like I didn't deal with that and not you know seek professional help but um try to lead by example so if I can talk about stressful traumatic situations and tell them how I Dealing with their processing it through therapy. Maybe it could inspire someone else to go. Just a thought. Well, that's my time. Thank you for your time and your attention. Um, hope that you find this uh, informational. Hope it gives you a different insight on black mental health. I'll be ready to post another podcast sometime um, next week. This is all new to me. Uh, Woo. Hmm. (laughs) I apologize for the emotion uh, expressed. But uh, glad you took... uh, Took a little time out your day to uh, uh, be with me in my time. I bid you adieu. God bless.